Hello, bonjour, and tassez. I'm Paula Simons, and this is Alberta Unbound. They call it the Great Migration. In October of this year, Mastodon, the not-for-profit social media website, had just 300,000 active daily users. It was primarily a niche platform for early adopters and subject matter experts, many based in Europe. But after Elon Musk took over Twitter, millions of people started giving Mastodon a try. By December, there were about 8 million people with Mastodon accounts and about 2.5 million daily users on the site. That's still a tiny fraction of the number of people using Twitter. But for those looking for a social media website without ads and with far fewer trolls, Mastodon is evolving into an attractive alternative. Will it last, or will the site, like its namesake, be rendered extinct by changing circumstances? Edmonton's Chad Oman is the administrator of Mastodon.ca, that's Mastodon with all its vowels removed, one of the most popular Mastodon instances in the country, a Canadian channel with more than 30,000 users and a definite Alberta energy. Last week, I had the chance to ask Chad about how and why he created Mastodon.ca, what it means to him as an Albertan to be at the helm, and how he's managing the Great Migration without being trampled. Here's our conversation. Chad Oman, when and how did you first discover Mastodon? It would have been April of last year. Uh, The threat of Elon buying Twitter uh, had a lot of conversations sparked around, okay, so what happens? What what happens if Elon buys it and it goes south? What what do we do? And, uh, you know, kind of doomsday thinking as it was. And so people were just dis- dis- discussing this open source uh, thing called Mastodon. And, and I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of this thing before and had no idea that there was this wonderful small community already there. So I took a look at it and I'd signed up on the, the largest instance, of course, as many do, the Mastodon.social and, and was poking around and okay, there's some good conversation here. But I, me as, as a curious person, uh, wanted to know how it worked and, you know, went over to, because it's open source, you can view the code, you can, if you, if you are so inclined, you can, you can, you know, run your own instance. And so just out of curiosity on a on a Friday night, I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll dive into this. I'll, I'll bite and I'll look and I'll just kind of see if I can figure it out and understand how, you know, the instances talk back and forth with, with each other and stuff. And it was a cool experiment. So I did that for the weekend. I looked at it and uh, then forgot about it, promptly forgot about it. So you could say, Paula, that uh, this was a case where the curiosity bit the cat. <laughs> so, so you looked, you fiddled, you poked, and then you, you know, you thought, oh well, that's kind of neat, and and left it. Mm-hmm. So, what what made you come back and engage more seriously? I had a message. Uh, I'm not sure if it was on Twitter or if it was just an email. I'd have to look, asking me if I was the administrator for or I ran the instance, and and I kind of looked at it kind of oddly and had replied and said, yeah, like. I do. <laughs> How come? And they replied and said, "Well, it's really slow." And and you said, I was "Yeah, like, okay, because well, I just set it up as a dummy thing." Yeah, I was just a dummy thing, and I, I went and logged into it, and there was some six hundred people that had already signed up on it. 
and this was early November. So, you know, a lot has happened in about four or five weeks. So wait a minute. So you set this up. Forgot about in, it. In April. Forgot about it. And you came back and it had it had blossomed like this. All right. Yeah. So now for those of us, I shouldn't say of us because you already lured me onto, onto your instance. For those who do not know what a mastodon is, barring being a, you know, a large and extinct prehistoric elephant. Can you explain what Mastodon is for those who haven't visited yet? Can you explain what it is and how it works? Uh, and here for, for bonus points, without using the words federated or instance, or at least if you do um, to, to define them. So what is Mastodon? How does it work? And, and how is it different from the bird site? This is a challenge. I, I think that the big difference between the bird site and uh, and Mastodon is it's almost uh, it's almost pushing the reset button on social media and is almost giving us an opportunity to to redemocratize social media in a way. You can download the, the Mastodon app and, and they have a flagship app. And when you open it, it gives you a choice of where you would like your your home to be. All right. And, and I, I banned you from saying instances. So yep. an, an instance. <laughs> oh, dear. An instance, dear listeners, is like a like a channel, I guess, yeah. because there's, there's one big, there's one big glop of Mastodon mm -hmm. and then you can sign in and be like in a, be at the party, but in a different room for your breakout cocktail mingling. Sure. So, so you pick, you pick a, you pick a party room, you pick a channel and then, and then what? You pick a channel and you sign up and you can use your name or you cannot use your name and uh, uh, from there you you can you can view what's called the local feed and that's everybody in our cocktail room I like that analogy that's great uh, and you can participate in the conversation you cannot you can just just read and and uh, see what's going on there's another and then there's the larger feed that they call the federated feed and and that in itself is every cocktail room that you know, is within earshot of yours. Uh, and it, it it's a very uh, loud place at times. Um, but still, it's it's still an engaging, if you can pause it and, and read it in chunks, it, it, there's still some very, very engaging conversation there. But I think what's special about your own home, you know, instance, or where you choose, where you choose to have your account is that, you know, hopefully it's a place where you know people already and you can follow them and, They'll engage with others. You can see their conversations falling in with your your conversation, and it's very similar to Twitter, but in that it's there's no algorithm to the to the feed. It comes in chronologically, and uh, you know you're not constantly being sold to with ads, and that's something that was actually very refreshing to me. Yeah, there are no ads at all. None. So I mean, so when I'm on Mastodon, and I've been there since November, uh, I can follow the p i can follow a lot of people in the mastodon.ca instance which you run which is the mastodon canada main instance i suppose That's and i can turn in that way yes and i can also <laughs> but i also follow all kinds of people who are on different instances so there are a lot of people who are on the dot to instance out of toronto for mm -hmm. example and so so it's i think this is the other thing that people need to understand is that you can be you're all at the same party and you can follow people from room to room, but you have a like a homeroom. Mm -hmm. So now 
you started this kind of as an experiment in April. The experiment grew in the dark, and then you came back in November, and it had 600 people. But nothing really morally compelled you to become the administrator of a really large Mastodon channel or instance. So at what point did you realize that your Frankensteinian monster had kind of uh, burst out of its burst out of its shackles, I guess. It's funny. I was having a conversation last night about this. Um, you know, it was like, you, you weren't obligated to, to keep these people there. You could have told them to go somewhere else. And um, I, that didn't cross my mind at the time. And I'm not sure why I think possibly because at the time, I think I felt that it had already become bigger than what I could turn off <laughs> at that point. And also part of it seemed to be a little bit, I didn't, I mean, it looked adventurous as well to, to, to help create this, you know, small little, what I was expecting to stay small, you know, 600 people. Sure. That seems manageable and, you know, can run for, you know, it, it would be manageable to, to operate. So that would be fine, but it did keep growing. And how many, how many people are there now, Chad? So I pulled the numbers before we sat down and we're sitting at 32,595 users and they have posted over 540,000 times. Not all of those are mine. No, no, none of those are mine either. <laughs> I'll be honest. I haven't had a lot of time to really contribute to the community because I've been, or at least socially, I've been busy you know, sitting at the nuclear reactor control panel in the background, hoping that all the knobs and dials are are in the right place. <laughs> and I've been, I've had really good days, and and then there's been some rough rougher days. But I think we're we're finding an equilibrium now, so that's that's really good news. So I'm not sure that everybody understands that you and your team are all volunteers. Yes, I mean you are not a multimillionaire like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. You are doing this in your spare time. So how have you put your team together? Uh, where are they all based? And, and how how are you managing running running this channel that has, you know, closing up on 35,000 uh, subscribers so far? JC came on uh, rather early on. And actually, I, I recognized him. Him and I had sang in Alberta Youth Choir in 2007. I was in grade 11. And uh, it was the last time that the uh, Alberta Choral Federation had a, a real retreat at a camp uh, for the choir. And that was really exciting. And we, we actually bonded very well. And we've stayed in touch over the years. And I noticed that he had joined. Uh, so I realized at that point that, you know, I'm going to need someone to help moderate the, you know, because not everyone is a, is is there with the best intent sometimes. And you know, we have had a, a few spats of spam and, and uh, we've had to to look at that and address it. But uh, by and large, also, we had to overhaul, uh, you know, the rules as well. And he did a fantastic job with with some of the graphics and the icons, the emoticons that we have now. You know, he's a fantastic graphic designer. So he's based in Calgary. Uh, and, uh, you know, but, uh, Stephanie and, and Aaron have been fantastic. They're from Ottawa. So, uh, you know, having that East Coast, not East Coast, Central Canada representation, I've been corrected. <laughs> I've been corrected, uh, you know, has been really great. You know, they'll catch the morning 
reports and we'll catch the evening reports. And um, yeah, it's been really great to have their perspectives. Aaron, um, you know, has been really a great champion in terms of consulting in regards to harm reduction um, and conversations in that regard, uh, because some folks have found an outlet that way. And we've been, you know, finding our, 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 our finding our footing in regards to addressing some of those concerns. So uh, that's been really good. But by and large, I mean, the moderation team has been absolutely amazing. They've been you know, I, I trust them a thousand percent. And, um, you know, and I, I talk about the moderation as in, you know, thinking that it's a very large, and um, you know, um, onerous piece, but it's really not. Um, early on, we had spam, but I think now that we we have an established base and and some rules that I think make sense for the community, we, we, we rarely, we maybe handle maybe one or two reports a day. Otherwise, the conversation's very engaging. So, Herein lies the rub, though. So far, it's lovely in your neighborhood. Our neighborhood. Yes, our neighborhood that we share. But as Mastodon grows and his interest in your your neighborhood of Mastodon.ca grows, is this a sustainable model? I mean, right now, four of you are volunteering to do the content moderation as as what they call the great migration continues and thousands and thousands of people leave Twitter for Mastodon. Can Mastodon retain this kind of uh, Garden of Eden innocence or will it be forced to behave more like a conventional social media platform as, as the population grows? Right, right down you're a small town what happens when you're a mid-sized totally. city yeah i think that that's a real concern and that's a, that's a concern that um you know a lot of people a lot of people have including myself is that you know are we sustainable and and <laughs> that's a question that you know i look at um you know our finances uh early on i i was very has a very very hesitant to to accept donations because it wasn't stable this was an experiment to begin with you know that um to ask people to donate to something that they had just joined and whatever and it was it was very small um and really i i don't know i didn't know if it was something that we were going to keep long term anyway but folks really were adamant that they wanted to give me their money to keep it running so at that point it was like okay fine and i had other instance administrators telling me it doesn't matter that's not stable right now put a link up and you know what? In the long term, it also gave me the license to be able to make it stable by giving it the resources it's required. So you um, bought more, more. Forgive me, I'm going to say stupid things because I don't more horsepower. You bought more, more, more server capacity. Yeah, yeah. So really, it's just made the, the processing pool bigger. The, just given, given the engine some more horsepower. So this is a nice segue to what I was going to ask. I mean, I already have the sense that Mastodon, as an entity, has a much more European sensibility about it as opposed to Twitter's American sensibility. Certainly I see a lot of people posting, you know, from Germany in particular, but from from Britain as well, uh, more of those voices than I than I was used to seeing on Twitter. But do you think that Macedon.ca has a Canadian sensibility? We have an opportunity to really define um or redefine social media f- that in a way that is more of a town square than like i said yelling into a void and i think that 
we have an opportunity to to to, to communicate together as Canadians, whether you're all, uh, from Alberta and or if you're from New Brunswick, uh, and and uh, you know converse and 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 you know I think that that's really really exciting and special and I don't know it kind of brings us all together a little. Now, Alberta Unbound, I should say, is not normally a tech podcast. No. It is mostly a podcast about Alberta identity and the interrogation of that identity. And so I find it, you know, sort of ironic and delightful in some ways that Canada's Mastodon server, or it's it, it's .ca branded server, is being run from Alberta. As I love Al- it. As an Albertan, what do you think that you bring to this Canadian instance? I think that um, Albertans are a little more uh, more about community than I think we give ourselves out to be. Um, I grew up in rural Alberta uh, between Wetaskiwin and Camrose on, a, on an acreage. And, you know, you helped your neighbor out, whether it was calving in the spring or it was harvest in the fall. And maybe your your farmer neighbor, you know, helped plow your driveway in the winter, which was really nice because otherwise it was, you know, me plowing the you know, with a shovel. So that was refreshing. Uh, <laughs> but we never kept score. And I think that that gets lost when we start talking about our neighbors provincially and territorially. So you get to eavesdrop, as it were, on lots of Canadian conversations and lots of Alberta conversations. Has running the instance made you think about Canadian identity and Alberta identity in a different way? I think it's reaffirmed my my identity in in that I am Canadian. I'm I've always been Canadian, um, and what that means to me is that I'm also Albertan. Yes. Um, when I think about when I think about Albertan culture, I'm not sure how to identify it. To be honest with you, um, both as as a as a farm kid growing up and 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 you know now as a, as a city adult. Um, we have a very special place between the Rockies and the, and the Plains, but um, there's also very other special places in Canada too mm-hmm. to celebrate. So I'm not quite sure where I am on that, but I certainly am Canadian and the, and I'm Albertan, if that helps. So you mentioned that you have a background in choral music and you sing with the Kronos Vocal Ensemble. Yes. And during COVID, when your group couldn't sing together, you yourself produced some amazing videos, knitting oh. together performances that your fellow choir members recorded alone at home to make a choir. And then you put them together complete with perfectly blended harmonies. And I've been a bit obsessed watching and listening to those videos on YouTube. And I can't help but see those videos as a kind of metaphor for the best of social media, pulling together disparate and sometimes even discordant voices into some kind of collective harmony and exchange. Mm. Do you think you can be that kind of choir master for mastodon.ca? I, you know, when you talk about, you know, that, that time, you know, where you, we were quite disparate and, and we were separated. And I think in terms of, you know, and I don't want to be the choir master of Mastodon, the, the instance itself, um, the long-term goal would be to incorporate it as a society and have it be its own entity and it would be incorporated as an alberta uh, society which would be great um with with a board of 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 folks that share the responsibility 
Um, because right now, as it is, like I, I don't like having the authority over over the community in such a way, um, and I would like to have that as a distributed uh, sort of thing. It's it's uh, if it's going to be a community, it should be community led, democratized, if you will. I mean, you are a computer guy. That is your that is your day job. It is, and you grew up with this tech generationally in a way that I certainly didn't because I am old. Um, you've, you've grown up absolutely immersed in this. So how do you think that being part of a generation that grew up with social media has shaped your own worldview and your own sense of identity? So I think I'm a, I'm a generation where I have a lot of my life online or have had the internet my entire life, whether I've liked it or not. Um, you know, my dad brought home a computer when I was in oh, grade three, grade four. And next thing you know, I had it in pieces on the carpet. Uh, it oh, still you, worked when I, it still was worked. Kid. Yeah. I was that kid. Uh, you know, I was just curious. I wanted to see how things worked. And I guess that's also why this instance became what it was or is. But I, I, I recognize the importance of being off the internet just as how valuable the internet can be, but also how, but also we've, oh, also recognizing the harms that the internet has also caused in the last little while too, um, just how important it is to to get off too. <laughs> so, so here is, I guess, the the kicker question. I got involved on Twitter in two thousand and nine. Mm. I lived my life on Twitter, my professional life, my personal life. I gave away so much of my intellectual property and my emotional energy to Twitter without really understanding what I was doing. I mean, I thought this was a great opportunity to build my brand and, you know, and market myself. And I I, I kick myself now for how naive I was that I never imagined an oligarch would one day come along and wreck the platform for spite and against all of his own economic self-interest. So now, as much as I'm enjoying Mastodon, I am a little leery of investing too much there. You know, I, I've had a bad breakup, and I don't know if Mastodon is my rebound relationship. Uh, so, uh, counsel me how, how how should I how should I and anybody in my position sort of approach our relationship with Mastodon as a platform? I have I have a very similar relationship with Twitter. Um, my account, I. I wrote it down before it just because I, I knew we were going to talk about this um, was I registered in February of 2007 on that dial up internet. And wow. it actually predates the first use of the hashtag ever. And I remember that being discussed and very controversial that this is probably not a good thing, but at the same time, it was a good thing because it could be a way of, of searching and, and categorizing, co you know, conversation and, and things like that. But and it did. It was it was very influential. And even now today, you drive around Edmonton and you have things called literally Yeg, like Yeg exotic pop and soda, which is yep. very cool. Um, because because Ed, I mean, Edmonton was a really I mean, this is my justification for making this an Alberta Unbound podcast. Edmonton was at a tremendously early adopter mm -hmm. of Twitter and the Yeg Twitter community, you know, it, it, when we were starting out in 2007, 2008, 2009, was a really tight-knit, very vibrant little community. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we really took that to heart. Yeah, I didn't live in Edmonton at the time, but it, you could feel like you were living in Edmonton, um, you know, just by following folks like like Mac Mail, who, yep. you know, it was was a, a huge pioneer of, of 
Yeg Twitter as it is Yeg Bird app. And, and there at the time, the conversation was very blue sky, much as we're talking about Mastodon in such a way. But I think we've also, we're also talking about Mastodon with some skepticism and some cynicism and, and as we should, we should be critical because, you know, it, it's, it, it, we don't want the, this platform to have a, a similar fate as, as the bird app or, or we'll call it Twitter. Um, so yeah, we were talking very blue sky back then about how this could become such a, so it could be a record of, of fact and social consciousness. And imagine if we had Twitter during, you know, nine 11 and, and, yeah. you know, what could have been, you know, captured and saved and archived, you know, what would historians uncover looking back at, at Twitter and, and in, in 50 years or 25 years or a hundred years, if, if we survive that long on the planet that, to me i'm i'm not as upset that i put as much of my time and energy and and social my consciousness into twitter than i am mourning the loss of potentially this this history of of the world um and it breaks my heart that um that it has gone this way in 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 such a way and uh it's it's it drives home and really solidifies the fact to me that this kind of centralized system that could potentially just be bought by you know by elon musk or x amount of money um that's dangerous and having you know a distributed you know even competition even um in, in a market is important just as much as that we would need to this should be something decentralized that it takes more than one person to take it down and it it should there should be a, a conservative concerted effort in terms of preserving um what's there yeah you know i mean i thought long and hard about what to do when i left twitter because the the simple answer for a lot of people is just, well, delete your account, and then it's gone. Mm. And I thought, you know, I tweeted pretty much every day uh, from 2009 until, until the end of December this year. And, you know, I was a journalist for much of that time. I covered every major news story in Edmonton and Alberta on Twitter. When I joined the Senate, I was live tweeting from the Senate floor and explaining what was happening and engaging with people on matters of, you know, interest before the Senate. And I, I've decided that I'm just going to freeze my account. So the archive is there. If people want to search it, if people want to look back at, you know, a dozen years worth of, of tweets, because I didn't think, and I didn't think it was a good look for me as a politician to erase all the tweets I'd made. Because, you know, I didn't want someone saying, aha, well, she was trying to hide some, you know, some stupid tweet she did in in 2012 (laughs) um, or 2018. So, I mean, I've left it there. And I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, maybe I am giving myself too much credit for thinking that I created an archive that might be of interest to somebody. Maybe, though, it's at least a social time capsule of a... Mm -hmm of a moment in Edmonton and Alberta history that I was privileged to be able to document. We generally close out the show with our our lovely theme music, which is sort of like this 
Western, you know, mm-hmm. Ponderosa Bonanza theme music. But I, I wanted to ask you, and if if uh, if the answer is no, we'll just cut this question out. But I wanted to ask if it would be all right for us to maybe go out with a little bit of one of uh, one of your choir's uh, YouTube oh. posts, so that people could hear what you do when you put together all those voices. So I have to give credit. So um, I was only producing uh, these videos over the pandemic. Our choir director, Jordan Van Beert, uh, wonderful, wonderful fellow. I've sang with him for, you know, coming on 10 years of, 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 of awesome seasons of of music. And, uh, you know, because I believed in the, in the, in the organization and, and in the choir, uh, you know, we've, we've accomplished amazing things, you know, four albums. We won the Healy Willen prize uh, through the Canada council of the arts. Um, you know, you could not see it go and, and through that and trying to maintain sponsorships and, and grants and that, and, and continue to support the, uh, the choral community, uh, the Canadian choral community with, uh, you know, composition competitions and, and the like, and, um commissions um for new work from canadian composers we ha- we were doing these virtual choirs um to kind of keep ourselves relevant and you know hey we're still here so yeah the the brainchild and absolutely the credit has to go to jordan um and his his incredible mastery of 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 the podium all right but i think you deserve some credit for putting, <laughs> for, 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 for putting this all together people cannot watch people can't watch the video on on the podcast, but you can go to the Kronos Vocal Ensemble uh, channel on YouTube. This is the Edmonton's Kronos Vocal Ensemble with their original homage to Stan Rogers, Chorister's Private Tears. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Senator. I miss them all. I was told we'd thrill the crowds with our tones of gold. We'd bask in choral victories. Now we're so desperate for good harmonies. We're here recording We're listening to Edmonton's Kronos Vocal Ensemble and a bit of their Stan Rogers homage, Chorister's Private Tears, from a YouTube video recorded during the COVID isolation and pieced together by my guest, Chad Oman, a member of Kronos and the administrator of Mastodon.ca. We'll put a link to the video and to Mastodon.ca and to my own Mastodon account in our show notes. Alberta Unbound is produced and edited by Caitlin Cummings. I'm Senator Paula Simons. Thank you. Merci and hi hi. How I wish I was in concert now Whose coughs and premature applause Interrupted each moment of pregnant pause <coughs> I miss them all I was told it's done them all With our arms so roar Enunciate brilliantly We'd even give the altos the melody Since we ran aground How I wish I was rehearsing now Our company scattered like shut the door Now we find ourselves on hostile shores How I wish I was in choir now But a day will dawn, my shipwrecked friends When our gang will be reunited again 
I miss them all. I was told we'd see a glorious tale unfold. The stage would fill with lost panties. Now we're a broken choir chasing TikTok memes. Thank God for catchy sea shanties. Now we're a broken choir chasing TikTok memes. Thank God for catchy sea shanties.